Welcome to The Clarity Call, a podcast which provides encouragement and guidance for parents overwhelmed with the responsibilities of raising a child with special needs or has a medically complex diagnosis. Gain an enlightening perspective that helps dispel feelings of fear, uncertainty, or exhaustion as you venture into a life of peace, joy, and clarity. You're now on The Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. Welcome to the Clarity Call, everybody. I'm Kimberly. And I'm Alicia. We are so glad you're here with us today. We have such an exciting guest for you all. But before we dive into that, we just want to remind you, in case you're new here, um, that we are sisters. Between us, we have 16 children, six of whom have a medically complex diagnosis or are considered special needs. And we are in our second and final marriages. And four grandbabies. Yep, always gonna. <laughs> Alicia's always gonna tack on her four grandbabies, and I don't get it yet, but I totally am like oh, excited so for her, and know that when I get to announce grandbabies, I'm gonna be ecstatic. Yeah, I think I'm a whole different person because they called again last night, and one's gonna be a little rat fink model, and I'm Aww. just like, oh my gosh, and T-ball, and Nana, guess what? And it's the cutest thing. Oh it's my just gosh, so, fun. So, so much fun. Anyway, so we are super passionate about helping special needs parents um, and caregivers find the help and support and encouragement that they need to get through the challenges that come with being um, having someone with special needs in your world. So with that being the case, we're going to go on to the reality check that Alicia has for us today, which will lead us wonderfully into our conversation with our guest today. Okay, so I have to start this off by this morning, I'm getting ready and I get this line in my head that says, if you don't have one, get one. And I'm like, okay, where is this from? Where is it from? Trying to pull from the memory bank. (laughs) And I immediately text my kids because we have a little family thing. And they're always throwing movie blurps out on there. And like, where is this from? Or what's this? You know. So I just said the line, if you don't have one, get one. Immediately, bam, Toy Story. I'm like, okay, why is this important in my head right now? Well, um, back about three years ago, it was, um, we were in the what I call the depths of despair. Once again, in life. The pit of despair. Despair. (laughs) We're going to reference all the good movies today. Yeah, Princess (laughs) Bride. And and we had just found out, you know, Brock had Hirschsprungs would come out of that. Our marriage was um, everything but gone at this point. We were just really in a bad place, both of us for, you know, different reasons. And um, and I, I was done. I was done. I had been through enough and... Um, I had an ecclesiastical leader say, Hey, I just need you to give me one, just give us one shot. And I thought, no, like I'm not given any shots. Like I'm so done. And then he asked us to come and, or to go, which was a long ways to meet with a, a therapist. And I, I'm an obedient person. I believe in God and I will be obedient. And I may not have been in this for anybody else, not even myself at this point in time, but I was willing to go. So Mike and I get in the car and we literally drove three hours every time we went to this therapist. And, um, and this was before I call it my moving day. Cause I was ready to move on, move out, be done. And so that's why this was so important is because, um, in toy story, Woody gets up on the podium and he says, um, first item of agenda today, moving day. He says, has everybody picked a moving buddy? He says, I didn't. And then they, you know, say, oh, I didn't know we needed a moving buddy. Oh, was I supposed to have one already? A moving buddy, you know. 
he says, you can't be serious. Do we have to hold hands? It's this whole little point in Toy Story. And Woody says, you guys think this is a big joke. We only have one week left before the move. I don't want any toys left behind. I'm moving, buddy. If you don't have one, get, get one. one. And this was Jeff Store for us. We got one. And we went faithfully for a year to our moving buddy. And he quite literally helped us move from one space to another. And there were points where we were driving home, you know, crying and at a loss and not talking for hours. And I think it was the last couple of months we looked at each other and we're like, why are we doing this? Is this even helping? Like, why are, what are we, you know, we just felt like we were just doing the motions. And really to this day, there wasn't one thing that I remember. I don't know. Maybe Jeff remembers and he can enlighten us. But we have Jeff Stewart. He is going to introduce himself. Jeff, we're so glad you're here today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Give us just a little intro on yourself and then I will carry just a little. Well, first, let me just finish our story. So at that point, we had been seeing Jeff for we saw him for a year, I think. And um, and then on one of our last trips going home, we had decided we were making an, a literal move. And that's when we made the decision to come to Texas and life kind of just swooped us up. And here we are. But it really did take our moving buddy, Jeff Stewart, to get us to this place today. So thank you. That's awesome. I've never been called a moving buddy, and I love that title. I think I'll keep it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, actually. (laughs) Inspired. That's awesome. Well, fantastic. No, I'm glad you guys are are doing well, and I'm so so excited to be here with both of you. So, yeah, I'm a a marriage family therapist and been doing this for over 20 years and uh, been married for 20, almost 25 years. And, um, yeah, so just a little bit about me. Like, I'm originally from Oklahoma. But uh, my wife and I have lived in St. George, Utah for the past 15 years and raised our kids mostly here. Um, And we have four kids. Two of them are on the autism spectrum. Um, What I guess, you know, used to be called Asperger's kind of level. Um, uh, Pretty high functioning, but definitely on the spectrum. And um, and then we've got a couple of other kids um, that have, I guess we would call them mental health issues um, that require you know, medication, therapy, things like that. My wife and I both have had to be on medication. Um, I have an unofficial diagnosis of ADHD. I just diagnosed myself, right? Because I'm a therapist. I just did that. Um, <laughs> Mike's going perfect. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and so my wife has, has dealt with anxiety and, and some depression. And we, we both have sought out therapy and medication as well. And, um, you know, just, and then dealing with just life, right? Self-employment, complicated extended family issues, uh, you know, faith issues, working with kids and, and school issues and friends and, uh, bullies and just all the challenges that come with, with kids that have, you know, different needs. And, um, and so, yeah, we've, we're still in the middle of it. We have two, two of our four kids are still at home and, uh, two of them have launched and are on their own and working and, and doing really well. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, I just love talking about this stuff and supporting other parents and trying to let people know that they're not crazy and that, um, that we're all in this together. So That's thanks for having me. Amazing. So great. So yes. great that you're just a normal human, Jeff. Cause you know, I would have never known any of that about you as we were seeing you. And so this comes full circle, <laughs> you know, and I just can't tell you, like I was saying, you know, we really can't pinpoint one thing that, you know, was the, the cure-all, the fix-all, but that whole idea yeah, of sure. having someone hold your hand through it 
and be the eyes and the ears and giving a different vision. I mean, we go back to the banana story, which you haven't heard, but she said there's two bunches of bananas and we both need some. These are overripe and these are underripe. What should we do? I said, get them both. She's like, well, okay, you're going to eat ripe bananas. And, I'm, and I said, we just break them in half. And we just that vision that someone else needs to have on our lives to help us gain that perspective or just they're simple things. We had a conversation last night about listening to other people be coached and be like, that was a no brainer. Like, oh my gosh, how can they not see that? Why do you think that's a problem in your life? It's not a problem, but they obviously think it's a problem. Yeah. And so it is so helpful to have therapists and coaches and, and I'm not just here to put in that plug because that's why we love to have our real lives brought out so that people know we really go through this stuff. Like we aren't just speaking oh, yeah. just because we were educated in it or because we were went through the experience of it, but both that we've now come on both sides of it and understand and so grateful for people like you, coaches, therapists who have done the work and are willing to to be vulnerable and authentic and and help us through it. Yeah. Well, and what Alicia yeah. said to me with the whole moving thing, you know, you get a moving buddy when you're ready to move your life in a different direction. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. We all need a, we have, my wife and I have had plenty of moving buddies in our life as well. Um, I love, I love the kind of the sentiment of that. And yeah, no therapists and, you know, like doctors, like nobody gets a free pass on life. Um, just cause you know, a bunch of stuff or have a lot of experience or help a lot of other people. Doctors still get cancer. Families still have struggles. We all get handed different, uh, you know, different cards and we just work with it and hopefully use the tools and the resources and the support that's out there to get you know, just to stay connected and stay healthy. And, and, uh, so yeah, I love, I love, um, validating and normalizing life with people because, um, you know, the second you start pretending that somehow you're above it or can escape that, um, I think you've kind of lost touch with reality actually. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That's a wonderful point. So bringing it, um, not only just personally, but professionally to you, we want to address a few things. Um, the first one sure. being those tactics, insights, and tools that work in overcoming this stress and anxiety and these overwhelming emotions that you've actually experienced because you have um, autistic children or these complications that you've been posed with in your life. They may not have come at infancy. So as a therapist, professionally, and as a father, what did that look like for you? What were those tactics and insights and tools for, for overcoming, tackling it together with your spouse? Oh, it's so interesting. Like, you know, with... Uh with a couple, with a couple of our kids, we didn't, we didn't even realize or even understand, or nobody even told us that there was even any kind of autism spectrum stuff going on until they were probably teenagers. So here we are trying to raise these kids thinking that we're the worst parents in the world and getting judged by our family, by other people in public, private, um, who, you know, are essentially well-meaning, but essentially leaving us feeling like that we just don't have a clue what we're doing. Um, because the regular stuff that you read in parenting books, we were basically reading the wrong parenting books. We were reading books on neurotypical kids and had these neuroatypical kids who were responding, they had very different brains and they were responding super differently from, um, and then, and then, when we finally started to put things together and, and got some answers and support, all of a sudden things started clicking and it dramatically improved our relationships. So for me, a big part of this is just getting the right information. Um, I, I just think that for us, for so many years, there was um, just a lot of um, 
confusion, a lot of self-judgment, blaming each other, blaming other people, blaming, you know, they don't get it or we're not, you know, I mean, there, there was just so much misdirected energy all, all over the place. And once we finally understood what was going on and could talk openly to our kids about it, we could talk to each other about it. We started to align things and we settled down. And that was probably one of the most regulating things we did was just getting good answers. Um, we just, you know, we give ourselves a big pat on the back for, you know, kind of walking into the wind all those years, trying to figure it out without understanding it. But now that we've got tools and resources and education to understand it, um, it's not it's not that it goes away, but it's, it's like your efforts actually get traction now, which is so nice. That's amazing. So that, that, you, that for us was a huge breakthrough, yeah. Yeah, that you can look back and have compassion for your past selves, that you just were doing the best that you could. I mean, that is such a huge healing point in moving yeah. forward and probably why accepting it's easier to accept a diagnosis and move forward with clarity and intention when you're not carrying the baggage of, I did it all wrong, you know? Oh, and that's so easy to feel that way because, you know, so many of your memories, um, you know, even our family, you know, you know, cousins, uncles, aunts, grandparents will look back and be like, Oh man, your kids were so hard or this was so hard or your kid did this to whatever cousin or, those kinds of things. And you look back and you think, yeah, I would have totally handled that differently. I would have set us up for success differently. Mm-hmm. We would have done less of that or more of that. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of other things we can laugh about now, but, um, it took a while to get to that compassion for that mm-hmm. acceptance because it's embarrassing. It's, it's hard to see the comparison and to feel like, um, you're just failing. And, and, you know, truthfully, there was, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself as a therapist that was supposed to understand or have a lot of these answers. Um, and then watching our kids basically not respond to us the way the books and the experts and all the training and stuff said that they would. But what I didn't realize is that there was a whole nother body of work that we weren't even looking at yeah. that would have lined right up with what our experience was. And once we found that it was, it was almost comical. We were just like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where has so this one been? of the first books I yeah, one of the first books I read was by Temple Grandin, um, mm-hmm. the one yeah. about launching your kids. I'm blanking on the title. Yes, Temple Grandin um, is amazing for any autistic, yeah. any families that need autism support. She is spectacular. Yeah, so I, she wrote a book on launching. She, I think she co-wrote it with somebody. But anyway, and I remember reading that for the very first time, and, and it was just like, somebody was giving me a nice shoulder massage. I finally felt like I could relax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so before you hit that point, was there, was there like a, a crashing point for you? You know what I'm saying? Like, did you just get to where like you were at a complete loss? Like whether it was in your marriage with yourself, like you said you were beating yourself up because you're a therapist, you should get this. Like I had raised seven kids, like same with Brock, like what the heck is different with this kid than all these other kids? Like, I can't figure this out, you know, or same with a marriage. Yeah. Like you just get to a point, like you're doing the same things. You think you're doing the right things and what is not giving, you know, and you crash, you do, you have a breakdown. Well, I did. And I think it's normal to get yeah. to that point. I don't know. Anyway. I, we def, I don't think we had like a, like a single massive breakdown, but there were definitely lots of tearful conversations. I remember one time saying to uh, one of my sons, um, we were sitting in the room talking about something and we weren't getting through. And I felt like all my efforts meant nothing. And I remember like tearfully looking at him in the eyes and he's looking at me, of course, with kind of that 
scare, right? Mm-hmm. The kind of mismatched affective scare. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And he's looking at me like he doesn't have a clue what I'm saying. And I remember kind of like raising my voice and saying something like defending myself going, I'm a good father. <laughs> <laughs> just hear <laughs> trying, me. Right. Just trying to get through to him saying like, I care so much. I'm trying so hard. I need some credit for crying out loud. Right. Yeah. And I think I'd kind of reached my limit of feeling like, um, you know, I, I need an A for effort here because I'm really working so hard. And it was interesting because he was so overwhelmed. I remember him looking at me almost like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I don't understand why there's all this energy in the room or what. And, you know, we've laughed about it since. And, and you know, we, we have a deeper understanding of But, yeah, it's breakdowns like that where you just feel like I don't know what else to do. Um, my wife and I, you know, in our marriage, um, we've always worked really hard to stay really united. And um, in some ways, even though we didn't understand what was going on, we at least could look at each other and sort of say, we're up against something. We don't know what it is. Um, and so we almost kind of had like a, for lack of a better phrase, sort of a common enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the, the kids themselves felt like the enemies, like we didn't know what was going on with them, but we knew that we were kind of holding on to each other and um, sort of normalizing and validating each other. Thankfully, we never blamed each other for our parenting struggles. We always made room for the other person to kind of figure it out and we're very supportive of each other, but we just didn't have a clue. We just didn't understand until, you know, probably the last five to eight years, mm-hmm. you know, it's not been, it's not been a very recent thing for us. And that's beautiful. And that's where I think our biggest challenge in the challenges we were now faced with, with our special, I mean, super special needs child with Brock is that we've come with a blended family. And so I think when yeah. you're united as sole and individual parents of these kids versus being a blended family, you're just bringing in a whole new set of dynamics. Oh, yeah. Which is why, understandably, we were we were in, on a failure path at that point. You know I mean? Not that it's right. It's just that's what happened because of our division in parenting and in whose kids are whose and what's happening. You know, and, and it was just it's so complicated. And we really did need that help to overcome some of those hurdles that we were had come up against. Right. Yeah. And just to make, I wanted to make sure you said two so super important things that I find come up when I'm coaching clients on a regular basis. And that is, you know, you're screaming, thinking, tell me I'm a good dad, validate me, right? Like you're seeking this validation. And so often we are looking for that validation outside of ourselves and having the ability to go, you know what? I know I'm doing the best that I can. I've got my back. I'm figuring this out and validating yourself is where you continue to stay in a place of love and understanding and compassion in those challenging circumstances without feeling resentful. And, you know, like you need validation outside of yourself to keep going and, and keep being your best you, you know? So I love that you brought up, you know, then where you came into, so I used my, my wife and I in this partnership you know, to help each other know that we have the, a common goal, you know, that yes, we feel like we're up against something really hard, but we both want the same positive outcome. And so we're working as a team and then allowing, you said, I even think you said holding space for each other, you know, and letting each yeah. other go through what you needed to, which takes us perfectly into, you know, this other point that we wanted to talk about of addressing grief and acceptance and acceptance in allowing each person in the marriage or relationship to process things how they need to, 
you know, so mm-hmm. how, how maybe expound a little bit more on what that looked like for you two specifically, how you did that for each other. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so important. I, I think for me, it, it, um, and my wife is really, really good at this, um, much better at it than I, than I was. I definitely learned most of it from her, which is she really does assume that everybody is doing the very best they can. Mm-hmm including, including herself and, and myself. And so, so it's really coming from this place of, uh, we had, we had a mentor when we were first married, Wally Goddard, who, uh, we lived with them and, and, and he, uh, they had fostered 25, uh, children. Mm. Uh, they, they had had fertility issues. And so they, they felt like one of their callings in life was just to foster kids. So they brought in 25 different foster kids over the years. And one thing he taught us was, he says, every child does what makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's a good reason they're doing it because something about it makes sense to them. Right. And it's our, it's our job to understand the logic or the kind of the intentions or what for them, like the meaning of what they're doing. And so I think in terms of grief and acceptance, um, I think for, for both of us, like settling into the reality that we're letting go of what made sense to us. We're mm-hmm. letting go of what, of what we thought would normal would look like or what um, our family dream would look like, how we were raised, um, what we see other families doing around us. And just sort of us accept the fact that like our kids and us for that matter are just doing things in a way that makes sense to us. And everybody's allowed to have their own journey. Yeah. And there's a lot of peace in that. There's a lot of compassion in that. And, it really does cut down on a lot of the kind of mind chatter around how it's supposed to look. Um, and so I, I think when I'm, when I'm not accepting that, I'll just speak for myself when I'm not accepting that, then the judgment comes in mm-hmm. the sad, the, all the, all the sort of like fighting internal battles. Um, but just to sort of acknowledge it, maybe have some sadness about it and recognize that this is a new frontier that um, looks and feels different than, and then a lot of people on the outside may not understand, and there might be occasional people who do, but regardless, um, we understand, and we can feel settled with that, and it really does allow us to connect more deeply to our kids where they are, instead of trying to force some other kind of situation that looks like the official family on the outside, mm-hmm. um, which is which is so disrespectful and crazy-making for everyone, so we, we definitely... Uh, been through that phase and now on this side it's I think I think we're doing a lot better at just accepting and settling into this this kind of new normal for us which is actually quite interesting because we have no idea what it's going to look like down the road you know right we, we kind of joke we kind of joke about um you know some of the things that may or may not happen or we just we don't know and we're just sort of here in the journey right now and it feels a lot better for sure Yes. Yeah. Just when you think you have things under control in your household and you think things are running on a, on a normal basis and then kids move out, they move on, they have other kids. And I always got frustrated with those people that were like, oh, you'll want them back in your house again and how things are just, you know, you'll wish they were this again. And I understand that as exciting as it is that they grow up and move on. Um, it brings a whole new set of challenges. It really does. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, special needs to the extreme, not just in the medical world, but in you're bringing in new people, new ideas, new 
um, new talents. And it really just, like you're saying, it's so awesome to really gain that motto that everyone is trying to do their best and have compassion yes. for them. That that is such a great way. I was speaking with somebody yes, uh, the other day at a lunch and she she's had so many struggles and, and kids with autism and, and certain struggles. And as she's telling me things, my mind is just going like, your kids don't, can't get up and get to school. I had kids that would never not go to school. Like if grandma's going to die, it's going to have to be on a weekend because I'm not missing school, you know, (laughs) when they're little tiny. Mm -hmm, And it's just mm -hmm. that idea of, of how we just face the world or we come as individuals. Like we can't make something or someone or children or adults, you know, follow our ideas all the time, you know, and it's just crazy to, like you said, that is the best motto though, to just believe that everyone's doing their best. So helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so that flows actually into what we wanted to kind of address next where, um, choosing to stay connected amidst the challenges of raising a family, especially when we have, you know, the added stressors of complex diagnosis or, um, uh, mental health issues, you know, so special needs, medical and emotional challenges, um, people struggling with addictions or buffering issues. You know, I found myself really having to get into an acceptance of, um, you know, like you talked about moving from my headspace into my autistic daughter's headspace and going, yes, she loves banging the gate against the wall because of the uh, reverb that she gets from it. That is a stimulation that she really enjoys. And we are all going to just go into her headspace and be like, Oh, if I was her, I would enjoy that. And so we're going to let that be okay for her, you know, and just having that acceptance of the differences in our mindsets. Um, so, you know, a lot of us kind of deal with that in different ways and we can choose to disconnect from people who need something different, whether it's in a marriage or a special needs child or what have you. Um, but how do you choose connection in challenging situations? Like you said, you think it should be different or it should look a different way or it should go that way. How do you kind of help people accept and step into choosing connection over disconnection when you want to move into the, it should be or they have different needs than, right. you know, like you're saying, they have different and weird needs than we have or whatever. Right. Yeah. We think they're weird, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And because I think that's always the question is the second that I start to try and control or force the situation, I've basically now disconnected. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm now out of sync with this child yeah, or with my spouse or with my mom or dad or right, any relationship. And so, um, learning how to tune in and just be with that person. And, you know, when they're little, it's, when they're little, it's, I think, easier to, um, you know, make them just look and do things the way that you need them to, to a degree. I mean, it depends on the kid's situation. Some things, some kids are just digging their heels. But for us, I'll just speak for my own kids. It was easier for us to sort of like have it look a certain way. We, they were willing to go along or there was compliance or there was just sort of like following rules and stuff. But as they started to go, get older and into, into their adolescence, we, we recognized that we had to slow way down and ask better questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my wife, uh, one of our, one of our sons was sitting in, in, in church and um, she just looked over and we had, we had, 
you know, felt for a while that this wasn't working for him. So we bought some different church clothes because his clothes were uncomfortable. And so we bought some better ones, some more comfortable and better fabrics and just trying to make the experience a little bit better. And she looked over one Sunday and just saw him over there. And she says, just the look on his face was like, like defeated. Like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I like, it just like, he was like a fish out of water. It just was so wrong. And Mm -hmm. it was like, so we went on a walk with him and she had a very strong feeling to say to him, you know, I think he was 15, 14. She said, Hey, you can, you can choose whatever you want. Like, does this, does this work for you to keep going? And he started to really open up about how all the, everything seems so repetitive and all the, all the people like, and, and just all these details of things that like a, probably a neurotypical person wouldn't pick up on or care about mm-hmm. or that we just adapt to, but it was just like nails on a chalkboard every single week. And, and so to stay connected to this child, we had to, we had to basically recognize, look, it's not going to look the same. It's going to look different. That journey is going to start to look different. And so it, it was such a, such a healing and powerful experience to basically say, you don't have to line up with our path. Like you can have your path. Mm-hmm. And but we're going to stay as close to you as you'll let us. And, and our relationship improved dramatically, 180 degrees, just from that moment. And so choosing connection versus disconnection is to me about asking good questions, listening, observing, noticing, accommodating, and favoring, privileging closeness and attunement and, and staying aligned with that person's emotions, their, their physical presence, their, their needs, and just, you know, powering way down or maybe moving a little faster, whatever the speed, whatever adjustment needs to happen. And, and to me, that's been the most rewarding thing because all I really care about is having a close, safe, loving connection with my kids. And regardless of, of what specific journey they're going to be on, because they're just not going to do it alone. Like we're going to, we're going to be with them the whole way. Yeah. I love that. I do too. And I actually makes me even feel a little emotional because I connect so strongly with what you're saying about that connection with your child. So maybe let's move that into connection with spouse, because it sounds like you and your spouse were on the same page here in this particular scenario. But what about when you know you have that desire for your child and you think you know the best way to help them, but your spouse also has the same goal and thinks that they have a different way that's going to be the best way. Maybe can you speak to how you keep connection when you have the same goal, but you really think that there's different ways to achieve that? Yeah. My wife and I couldn't be more different in a lot of ways. Like we we're we're very different people. I'm very impulsive, talkative. She's much more mindful, slower, and introverted, just takes her time, very deliberate. You know, she'll hold up the line at Taco Bell for an hour trying to decide on the menu when I'm you know, losing my mind in the driver's seat, you know, <laughs> so we tease about that stuff. And so, um, we're just very different people, but yeah. So when we approach our kids and even to this day, um, we're much more aligned than we've ever been, but what we've done and what I've helped couples do over the years is when you discover that, you know, your, your approaches are just coming from your, you have to get to the intentions of what the person is trying to do. And again, assume that the person's trying to do the exact same thing you're doing, you know, where one, one spouse might be more intense about it. One spouse might want to pull back and drop the temperature a little bit and kind of cool things off. 
both of those are probably necessary. They probably both have a place. Um, it's all coming from love. It's coming from fear of the future. It's coming from anxiety. And so to really be able to hear the stories underneath that, um, there's a marriage researcher, John Gottman, who talks a lot about um, really starting to, to get into the deep stories underneath the differences mm-hmm. and recognize that each couple, each person in the coupleship has um, has a history and a reason for why they they feel so strongly about this. And when you can start really telling these stories and getting into it, that you basically see that this person's not working against you as much as you're um, as you might believe. And so these conversations have to happen outside of the immediate crisis. Some decisions have to be delayed. Um, there were times where we didn't really have a good answer for how we wanted to handle something, but our commitment was to keep talking, to keep connecting, to keep trying to understand each other. And some, some conversations went better than others, but over the, over the course of just working through it, the goal was to get to, being in a place where you can really see and understand and care about why this is so important to the other person and almost try and help them get what they want. And if both people are doing that and you're, you're starting to move from defending your position to kind of advocating and helping your partner have more of what they need in their style, um, it works really well. And so a lot of people need counseling for that. Um, a lot of people need to take just lots of time with it. It's rare that this is something that's going to happen quickly or naturally. Yeah, I've found that, sorry, in my marriage, learning that concept of, okay, we both love our kids and we both have the same goal here. We just have different perspectives on how to meet the goal. I have found that in situations where it feels like he's becoming defensive and I'm becoming defensive, just saying to him, hey, remember that we love each other and we have the same goals here, even though we right. think that it's a, it, that we, they, it should be met a different way. Let's remember that we're partners and we're going to work together towards the same goal. And we can try both of our ways, one way, one person's way before the other and just see what works. Remembering that ego doesn't matter here as much as getting the outcome that we both desire for our child, you know, kind of just well, yeah, calling it out. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. And, and, recognizing that generally, at least in our case, you've got two neurotypical parents coming from their paradigm and, and then trying to apply what makes sense to us from our histories, our backgrounds, our reflexes, our, our instincts and tendencies for these kids. And, um, you know, you're both basically trying to blaze a whole new trail. And Mm -hmm. so it's, you know, you can very easily sort of get into this place of, well, I think this is the way to do it. And what we've learned is that, we're basically just doing a lot of trial and error. And so let's just maintain a lot of flexibility, openness, and even just say, let's try that. Let's try your way. Let's see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And then evaluate that didn't work very well. Or, uh, I think let's part of that work with, you know, so we're always just brainstorming, adjusting, creating, experimenting, trying, because once you accept that you don't have a clue, you don't have a clue. You don't know what you're doing. And there's just really no sort of roadmap for it right. because each kid is different, um, which I think is just good parenting advice in general. But, right. yeah. you know, the, the books, the experts, the, the different experts, other families, like those are all great starting points. But you have to slow down and tune into each other and to the kid, each kid, and really understand that we're basically custom fitting this experience for each individual child. And, um, 
And so for one person to become dogmatic and, and assert that they, they know exactly how this is supposed to go really shuts down the conversation and kills the connection. Yeah, all the way around in the marriage or relationship and with the child. Everywhere. Yep. 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 That's awesome. I mean, all I can think of is, so is there going to come a point? Do you just have to be patient while you're waiting for your wife in that line at Taco Bell? (laughs) (laughs) Do you just keep being patient or do you not say anything? I only say that because it happened to us the other day, although it was innocent because it was lunch rush right after us. But I think Mike was looking at me like, can't you just make a decision and be faster? Well, then you add low blood. Yeah, you add low blood sugar on there, so you now your brain taps compromised and uh-huh. right now. So some, sometimes, just you know, as far as an accommodation, sometimes uh, if, if we know we're going to go eat, I'll get online and get the menu and give it to her on the way there, and mm. she can look at it on her phone, and then she can think about it. Mike's like, um, pick two, and I'll eat the other one. I just just do it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's how accommodating he became. Is like, just whatever else you want, just pick it. I'll oh, eat that one. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> okay, so I think we've touched a little bit on this idea, but um, being a, a special needs parent or caregiver can become very exhausting overwhelming or even just like yeah. I know Alicia has had situations in her life where she was just like I quit I'm done I give yeah. up yeah. right mm-hmm. because we get to that point where it's just like I can't do this anymore this is too hard I am exhausted and uh, in reading some of your work you discuss the concept of resting instead of quitting um, including and allowing for the ideas of what quitting would look like to determine what could be removed from one's life or allow for more rest and positive and positive productivity, you know? So mm-hmm. I really love that concept. If you want to kind of talk more about that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, some things do need to be quit, right? We just um, actually did so a podcast example, on quitting, like mentally. I just, I love this concept and I realize I did it without even realizing, yeah. but like quit everything, everything. Yeah. And decide on purpose what to put back in, you know? Exactly. Right. So there's sort of like, you know, I guess they talk about the war versus the battle, right? Don't quit the war. Like stay in, you know, you're going to stay. And to me, the war is probably a weird metaphor, but but the war is about connection. It's about fighting for closeness, about fighting to stay close and stay connected to your spouse, to your children. That to me is the ultimate goal. That's, That's what we're focus on so to me it's like you can rest with that and part of resting is deciding that you may need to quit some things that aren't working um so the example like with with the our our kid that was just dying in church like that was important to quit that yeah and it doesn't say it doesn't mean that that may not be added back later and it's like who knows i'm not worried about that today but but there are a lot of things so quitting is really quitting some things is about maybe changing directions or um, you know, modifying or, or taking something out that just isn't serving you. And obviously every person has to discern what that is for them. And mm-hmm. nobody gets to tell you what, what is or isn't going to be taken out. But um, resting to me is just, you, you know, you can rest by not doing something. You can rest by asking for support. You can, you can rest by uh, being honest about what you're struggling with and just getting real about what you need and, um, you can rest by um, dropping the self-judgment and mm. in- introducing more com- more compassion for yeah. yourself and for those around you. There, there's when you, I, to me, it's like when I feel myself just white knuckling, gripping, holding on, controlling, getting anxious, afraid. That's you know, my wife and I both practice a lot of meditation, um, 
that's been so helpful to both of us over the years in terms of just surrender and just like letting things go and just staying in the moment, staying very present. And that's been a huge part of resting for us to let us get back up and stay in this engagement, to stay close to our kids and to each other. Um, but yeah, it's the idea that you're supposed to just kind of keep compounding and adding on more and taking on more and just muscling through it and gritting and all that stuff. I think that's just way overrated and quite harmful. Um, I think to do it mindfully, um, you're still going to work hard. You're still going to have tension. You're still going to, you know, be having some kind of white knuckle moments, but it can be done in a way that's sustainable. And that's only through rest and through dropping out of some things or adding other support. And it's very dynamic. Um, but it's, to me, it's, it's the way you stay in this very long, long-term type effort right. in staying close to our kids and family. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That brings us full circle to the moving buddy. Yeah. As long as you got your moving buddy, you can <laughs> and take that, your and, rest and, and figure it out. And however that looks, because you can have different types of moving buddies throughout your life. It may be therapy. Yeah. It may be coaching. It may be a parent, you know, for our kids, for our little kids, right. it's a parent, you know. Um, the older we get it's caregivers and, but really that movie yep. buddy really just takes us from one step to another. I'm telling you that was crazy. Cause that's a total inspired thought this morning. I just mm -hmm. have to say, but yeah, it really has such deep meaning. And that is so neat that you have been able to be one of our moving buddies. And yes. I'm so grateful, Jeff. And what a great conversation <laughs> today. Thank you so much for your wisdom and insight and for, you know, being willing to, to be so, um, authentic and share your story so that our listeners can have that um, hope and and continued encouragement to to keep on going take a rest if you need it and quit what you don't need in your life anymore right yeah absolutely no you're welcome and I we're all doing this because we care so deeply about the people that we are close to our families our our, our kids yeah. our spouses like we we do and we just it's messy and we mess it up but we can also repair it and slow down and keep trying. And so I, I love the hope in all of that. Absolutely. So great. Yes. So if people are looking for you as a moving buddy, how are they going to find you, Jeff? Can they even find you right now? Or are you too busy? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so um, I'm definitely busy and full. But um, but yeah, my website is um, my name, jeffstewart.com. If that's too hard to spell, you can go to fromcrisistoconnection.com. Yeah, and we'll share that in the um, show notes as well as on yeah, our social media posts. So. I know you have yeah, some I write awesome a weekly, programs. I, yeah, I, I have online courses. I work a lot with couples and dealing with betrayal situations. Um, but I do have a podcast that focuses on that. And I also write a weekly relationship column um, that just is more of a question-answer type thing. So there's a lot of free resources and other resources on my website, social media. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Wonderful. Super. Thank you so much. Well, we'll remind you as we close with our mantra, which is the quality, the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And then we also love to end with a little fun thought, kind of give our brains a break now with a would you rather. And this week's would you rather. Um, I have so many people in my life that this makes me think of. So would Great. you rather eat a raw potato mm. or a whole lime. Okay. I love me some lime, but I really don't like the outside of a lime. A whole lime. Oh <laughs> yeah. A whole lime. lime. Oh, like a rind? Yes. So <laughs> yeah, I grew up eating potatoes, so that's easy for me. So you I would just, eat a raw potato? Yeah. We used to do it all the time. That's oh. what we did. Mom and dad can attest to that. Cause we just put salt on it, eat potato. That's it. 
Yeah, but you don't get salt. You just have to eat okay, it. Okay, I'll eat it plain. Yeah. Okay, fine. Starch and all. Jeff, what would you choose? A raw <laughs> potato or a whole lime? Definitely the potato. Like, I love lime. <laughs> but when you said the rind, I could muscle through the, the, the meat inside, but the rind would just stew me in. So, yeah, definitely the potato. <laughs> yeah. God. I think I'm you're still picking lime? a lime. Yes. Oh, you're going to be gritting it. I do. There. I Ooh. do love lime. So, I just, a whole potato, that chalkiness, it. <laughs> That's you know, I don't think I could do that. I'd rather especially a red one. No, yeah. a good russet. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-mm. Anyway, all right. Well, thanks again for joining <laughs> us this week. We sure appreciate it. We hope everybody has a fantastic week. Thank you. You've been listening to The Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. Find additional episodes of the program on any popular podcast app or search Apple iTunes. You may also subscribe to The Clarity Call to catch every episode. If you've enjoyed the content of this podcast, we invite you to share it and please leave a rating and review of our program. If you'd like to connect with Alicia and Kimberly on social media, you can find them on Instagram as The Clarity Call or on Facebook under Clarity Call. They can also be reached by email at theclaritycall at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and supporting our program.